following is a Northern State podcasting production. You're listening to the Mind Cruisers podcast. Podcast where we bring mental health out of the darkness and into the light. Follow the light. We'll take you away from your darkest night. I know. I swear, I've been there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mind Cruisers podcast. This is Stephanie Dorman, and I'm here with my co-host, Jared Johnson. How are you doing, Jared? What's been up lately the past month? Well, Stephanie, uh, lots of things have been happening, at least in my life, um, and I imagine the same is for you. So for me, the biggest news is that I got a job, um, which, if you know me, um, you know, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal for anybody, but especially for me because I haven't worked in quite a while um, due to my health and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's a huge deal. It's so far... Um, I'm, I'm loving it. Um, it's with a marketing company based in San Francisco area. Um, and they do honest marketing, which is awesome. Um, cause it vibes with my, you know, kind of the way I want to view marketing and all that stuff. Um, I won't bore you with a bunch of that, but yeah, it's, uh, so far it's been amazing. Uh, the team that they have there is very awesome. It's just awesome. Like small, but great like i love the the just the the vibes i get from them so yeah learning a lot so far and um you know i'll kind of keep you guys updated on how that goes but um i have nothing but good things so far so that's awesome uh, but also super excited to be back in here and uh help some people hopefully and um, you know, talk about some uh, a seasonal defect, uh, affective disorder. Yeah, definitely. What's What's been new with you? <laughs> well, congrats on the job, Jared. That is great. That is so awesome. I'm really happy for you. Um, so for me, this past month has been full of conferences and summits and webinars and learning. And I feel like I've just kind of been on overload and like a sponge and trying to absorb everything I can get my hands on before I graduate in June. So, um, I'm kind of going overboard on the learning and I don't know how much of it I'm retaining, but I went to this um, Women in Substance Use Disorders Action Group Summit at Swedish Hospital in Seattle, and it was awesome. There were researchers and doctors from different hospitals from all over the nation, and they were presenting on new research with addiction treatment and compassionate care with those who struggle with addiction. So it was just right up my alley, and I was just soaking it all in. I, I loved it, and it was just super interesting because, um, I did this project for my, a group project last quarter for school where we had to research and evaluate a program at one of our practicum sites. So we did that at the hospital I am doing practicum at, and, um, it's called the eat, sleep, console program. And it is for neonates with opioid withdrawal symptoms. I'm just going to say nows cause it's a lot easier to say nows rather than neonatal opioid withdrawal symptoms. But, um, so it was kind of like we had to evaluate what happened before, why Eat Sleep Console came, and kind of like what the future of it is. So the old model of 
kind of like assessing these infants was called the Finnegan scale. And the doctor that made that scale, Dr. Finnegan was actually at this conference. So we got to see her presenting on kind of some stuff that she had researched on her whole life, which was very interesting. And then we saw the people from Boston Medical Center presenting about nows and kind of like what they do and what their aftercare process is. And then there was another gal from Johns Hopkins University talking about kind of like the developmental piece. So like each of them are kind of just talking about different pieces of uh, nows. And I am obsessed with that stuff. So it was awesome. I could go on and on talking about it. But um, overall, it was just about compassionate care treating people with respect and kindness, regardless of what they've gone through and kind of just switching the whole addiction treatment process to more of a disease model, which I am fully on board with because I think it needs to be treated differently. So that was awesome. Wow. And I also got uh, certified as a clinical trauma professional this month, which was a whole nother thing I'll talk about later. Awesome. That's, that's amazing. Uh, as far as compassionate care, like to me, that's, uh, super important, um, little side story. Uh, I went to my doctor this week <laughs> for my Crohn's disease. And, uh, although he's never actually helped me, I realized he's never actually helped me like with a medication is what I would say. Um, he's, I realized how much he helps me mentally. Um, just by like the thought of going to see him, like made me super happy. And like, I noticed every time I've ever gone to see him, my stomach doesn't hurt. I don't feel sick when I'm there. Um, and it's been that forever. Like they always think I'm good when I'm there because I, because it's just the, and I told him actually this and he was pretty like excited and happy and all that for about it all. But, but it was really crazy. Like the idea, I guess, behind all that is really interesting to me, but yeah. So do you just feel like comfortable with him? I'm super comfortable then? with him. I'll talk to him about anything, okay. but he's, it's his personality. It's his, he's just, he's goofy. He's like hilarious, but he's so smart. Like, and everything that I've ever run past him, like, cause I've run some crazy things past him to like potentially help my, help me, um, you know, like muzzle testing and like Hawaiian shamans and all kinds of things. So, and he always just says, oh, well, there's no scientific evidence showing that that will work, but I don't care if you try it. Right. So, so yeah, he's, he, it's just his, uh, presence. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing. He's a pretty, like, he's a pretty famous doctor. I'd say like he's, he, he's pretty well connected throughout the whole United States. And like, you know, I mean, you know, we could get into our Western medicine and all that if we wanted to, but, uh, but in nevertheless, he's just he's just a really good doctor, I think. Even I would recommend him to anybody, even though he hasn't helped me, which is saying something to me. Uh, but yeah. Um, so today, I think we wanted to start the show off um, just talking about a couple of like kind of latest news um, in mental health. Um, so I found a couple of articles um, scouring the Internet uh, that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, so the first thing I saw was, uh, came out of the university of Oregon. Um, and it's about grant. There's a grant that funds mental health and suicide prevention training. Um, so basically, um, a, a grant that is, 
um, helping provide training to all to students and staff of the University of Oregon um, to teach them how to help um, in crisis situation. Does that understand how you understood it? Yeah, I kind of saw it as like a kind of low barrier mental health first aid treatment. So it looks like, like from what I read, it said it takes under one hour and it teaches anyone how to provide some quick help to those struggling or in crisis. Um, again, we call that mental health first aid a lot of times. And, um, it, I think everyone could really use it just like any kind of first aid. There's physical first aid and mental health first aid. And I think it was really great that they're doing that. Yeah. Super. I mean, super amazing. Like it's something I, I mean, it would be a great thing to teach like all throughout all school. Right. Um, so yeah. And all, yeah, like elementary, middle yeah. schools, high schools, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was the first kind of article. The second article I found was, uh, a bill, I think in Alaska, if I remember right, which I could be wrong here. Just one second. Uh, oh no, California. Sorry. There's the, yeah, I think the third one is in Cal is in Alaska, but second one is in a, is in California and it's about like, um, students taking excused absences um, or being allowed to take student or excused absences, students in high school and elementary school and middle school and all that, um, and allowed to take excused absences for mental health. Um, I think that's awesome. Like, I, I mean, I don't remember having a lot of mental health like breakdowns in high school, but I also, I don't know, I'm a different person. so. Uh, doesn't mean that there isn't lots of high school kids and I mean, I don't know, maybe elementary kids. I'm not really sure about that. <laughs> yeah. I know that it's pretty awesome that they're doing that. I, I would have used a lot of those mental health days in high school. <laughs> and <laughs> I know personally, I struggled a lot. It was, it was hard to get to school some days just because of the stuff I was going through. So yeah. to be able to actually have a day where I could just like, it's okay that I stay at home and do self-care and kind of like reflect on what was going on in my life in high school would have been pretty awesome. Yeah. I think that, so. I think the reason that I would, that I don't think I had that is just because I like in some ways school was the best place for me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was, it was uh, like, it was the place to get away from things that have other things. Right. So, uh, kind of interesting anyways. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I, um, heard of a company here and they allow one self care day or mental health day, whatever you want to call it, every pay period. And it's some places like require it and some places just encourage it. But I heard of another program that they will schedule like Ooh two hours a week where they require you to not see any clients, not see any patients. And you have to take like self-care and, um, just kind of do whatever, like go out of the building, go out to lunch, take two or three hours. And it's just, I think that's awesome. awesome yeah. That people are recognizing it now I think that, uh, that it's so important. Well, and especially in your career field, like seeing all the things you see in the, like, you know, I've heard a few stories here and there and like, just those things can be traumatizing even for you, you know, so, um, to, to have, stay tuned for the next episode of vicarious <laughs> trauma and compassion <laughs> fatigue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it's, uh, I think it's definitely something that's, um, beneficial. Um, 
So the third one, it kind of goes along with the first one a little bit, the third article, and it is about students in Alaska, Fairfax, um, learning to help their classmates with mental health struggles. So similar kind of thing. Um, I think that there's some training that they're giving these kids to uh, to be able to help their fellow students. Um, and basically, they're learning from school counselors. Um, so mostly, you know, the higher up kids like juniors and seniors um, are getting the opportunity, but um, still pretty cool. Um, so it says 12 students were trained in the first like session of this. Um, so that's, I mean, again, super cool. It'd be cool to uh, see how that progresses as we um, as it becomes more prevalent. Yeah, it's almost like they have like certain classmates that are ambassadors and like, this is how you do, you know, this yeah. is who you need to talk to. This is how you process. This is well, you what know, is important to, you know. It's kind of interesting out. actually think about that because uh, like if uh, you never worked probably a union job, but maybe you have. Um, union jobs. Maybe, usually, I don't remember. Union jobs usually have like a steward or something that's like supposed to be the if you're having problems, then you go to the steward who's like the union, like, you know, he's like the person in your department that is the union person. And so it's sort of like, it reminds me of that. Like, you're like, I'm having problems. I need to go to my student, you know, whoever my student, I mean, cause counselors, I just don't feel like people, the students would use them. Like my counselor, when I was in high school, uh, she just told me I was going to fail everything. So <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if I had a yeah, student to go to, like a, I might have done, I might have done it more likely. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of kind of like the peer counselor type role, like in addiction treatment. There's usually a peer that will kind of share their own experience about like what they've been through and what works for them or what's happened and what their treatment looked like. So it kind of reminds me of that, but in high school. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, probably it for the latest news in mental health, but we'll keep them coming. If you guys find an interesting article, send it out to us. We'll uh, definitely talk about it on the next show. Um, so I think we'll jump right into our main topic of the day, which is seasonal affective disorder. Uh, so I'll start this off and ask Stephanie, what is seasonal affective disorder? Seasonal affective disorder is a type of depression that kind of comes and goes with the seasons. It's typically in the late, starts in the late fall or early winter and goes away during the spring and the summer. And depressive episodes are that are linked to the summer can occur, but they're much less common than the winter episodes of SAD. I'm going to refer to it as SAD because seasonal affective disorder is really long to say. Um, and it's not a diagnosable condition in the DSM, kind of like when we were talking about codependency and the closest relatable condition or diagnosable condition is called major depressive disorder with a seasonal pattern. So it's, it comes and goes, people experience it in, you know, different times and they're, and it's just a winter kind of fall thing. But when was it? I don't want to get too much into it. So, Jared, when was SAD first discovered? Uh, so it was discovered in the 1980s by um, a Dr. Rosenthal. 
Um, he, he performed a series of bright light therapy trials and coined the term um, seasonal affective disorder or SAD. Um, later, he and his colleagues developed a SAD or a seasonal pattern assessment questionnaire, which is called Spark. Uh, that was in 1984, um, and has and it, and it continues to be widely used to like kind of diagnose, although it's not 100% effective and kind of um, spotty, I'd say. Um, but it's a self-administered tool. Uh, that screens for the existence of SAD and SSAD, which I had, did not get a chance to look up what that is, but maybe you can tell me. Um, it is freely available and we'll provide a link in our show notes if you would be interested in looking at that. Um, but it's not, like I said, it's kind of hit and miss whether, like with professionals of whether it's uh, effective or not. So, um, but how common is seasonal affective disorders? Well, seasonal affective disorder is estimated to affect about 10 million Americans, and another 10% to 20% may have mild symptoms of SAD. It's four times more common in women than in men, and the age of onset is estimated to be between the ages of 18 and 30, and it is a very real phenomenon due to the lack of vitamin D. It kind of like gets more prevalent as you get further away from the equator. And Jared, what are the symptoms of SAD? So SAD um, is, as, as Stephanie said, is a subset kind of a major depression. So a lot of the symptoms are similar, um, but mostly they're only present during whatever season you are having that seasonal affective disorder. So um, whether that's summer or fall, but they do change a little bit depending on which season you're having um, your depression in. Um, but the signs of major... Um, I guess the major depression would be feeling depressed most of the day, nearly every day, losing interest in activities you once enjoyed, um, having low energy, having problems sleeping, experiencing changes in your appetite or weight, um, feeling sluggish or, or agitated, um, having difficulty concentrating or feeling hopeless and worthless, um, having frequent thoughts of suicide, uh, Stephanie, do you want to tell them what would be a symptom if you were more like in the fall time or winter sad? Yeah, so symptoms specific to winter onset sad include oversleeping, appetite changes, especially a craving for foods high in carbohydrates, weight gain, and then a tiredness or low energy. I kind of think of like a bear hibernating. You're just kind of don't want to do anything. You want to stay in your house and you might have all of these symptoms and want to sleep all the time. So that's kind of more of the fall and winter seasonal affective disorder. Uh, Jared, what kind of happens in the spring and the summer typically? Yeah, so specific to more spring and summer uh, seasonal affective disorder um, or called summer depression at times um, is kind of trouble sleeping. So insomnia, um, poor appetite, uh, weight loss, agitation, anxiety, um, so those sort of things kind of, uh, but it, it's like, like, like Stephanie said, it's not really a diagnosable thing, but the only way you kind of get the seasonal affective disorder, like, I guess, what is it? What did you say earlier? The major depressive disorder yeah. with seasonal something. The only way you get that, 
The only way you get you can get diagnosed with that is if your symptoms of depression are observed for two or more years, um, showing up only in one season and subsiding in the um, opposite season. So showing up in the fall and subsiding in the spring. Um, and they can't be related to employment or like outside factors like, you know, if you're if you work more in the summer and then you are poor the whole winter and then you like are depressed about that. It can't really be related to that is what they, is what they say. Uh, or drugs or alcohol. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to add that. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. Um, what, so Stephanie, what outside factors can you put, can put you at more at risk to get seasonal affective disorder or SAD? Well, some things that might increase your risk of getting sad are being female. So it's diagnosed four times more often in women than in men. If you live, as I said, far away from the equator, so it's more frequent in people who live further north or south of the equator. So an example we have here is that 1% of those who live in Florida have it, but then 9% who live in New England or Alaska suffers. So that's a big change in the prevalence of the disorder. And then your family history, of course, with a lot of types of mental illness, people with a family history of other types of depression are more likely to develop SAD than people who do not have a family history of depression. And then having depression or bipolar disorder, the symptoms of depression may worsen with the seasons if you have one of these conditions. But SAD is diagnosed only if seasonal depressions are most common and also younger age. So if you have your younger adult, you're going to have a higher risk of SAD than older adults. It's reported even in children and teens. So you're going to possibly keep getting it if you experience it at a younger age. It might keep happening or be longer that you have to deal with it if you don't get treatment. So, Jared, what are some of the common treatments for someone diagnosed with SAD? Well, first thing I will say is that um, you should get your treatment from a professional and not base it on what we're saying. But uh, some things you could look at for sure are seeing a therapist. Uh, you can do some light therapy, which I actually have at my desk now. Um, also, you could uh, see a professional about prescription medications, of course. Um, some of the other tips that I found around um, were like keeping a journal, um, exercising more, getting full night's sleep, getting outside during the daylight, or using a diffuser. Um, like I said, these are just suggestions, um, and we suggest you definitely see a professional um, if you feel like you're experiencing symptoms of SAD. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to mention about seasonal affective disorder is whether I've had it or not. So I've definitely had the winter blues because I feel like everybody who lives in Washington has at one time or another, um, but never to the extent of whether I actually feel like I had seasonal depression, uh, mostly, like I said, living in Washington where it's dark and cloudy for six to eight months out of the year makes it kind of difficult <laughs> at times, which is why I usually take a, a warm vacation in, in February. Um, but yeah, mostly, like I said, it's, 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 I never actually had the real symptoms of SAD. So how about you, Stephanie? Well, I had teenage SAD <laughs> for what it seems like, like looking at all these symptoms. I'm like, I felt that way through so many of my teenage years. Um, I know that's not actually a thing, but I felt 
I haven't actually had sad specifically, but I have kind of had these different like ebbs and flows, I would say, of kind of feeling depressed. I've never been diagnosed as depressed, but I just kind of like I have these, these feelings that we've been talking about and like, I felt down and I like to take warm vacations in the winter too. And if it snows too much, I get really offended (laughs) and I don't want to go anywhere. Just like, like I like snow, but I don't want it to stick around. And I always thought where I live, it's always there. (laughs) I always thought it'd be nice to live somewhere where it's warm so that you can go visit snow. Because otherwise, where we live, we don't ever want to visit snow. Why would we ever want to do that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, we can just step outside. So, Um, (laughs) I mean, we're kind of further away from the equator. So, but I, yeah, I just, yeah. It it gets me thinking of, like, depression in general. And then I start, like, ruminating and thinking about the CCTP training. I just took the Certified Clinical Trauma Professional training. And, um... He just talks about how like all kinds of mental illness, the professor that I listened to was talking about how so many different kinds of mental illness can be just treated with learning self-regulation techniques. So that's basically emotion regulation. And as long as somebody can get out of that fight flight mode of their brain and they can instead of being the Hulk, they can be Bruce Banner, the Bruce Banner of themselves, then they can just do so much better in treatment. And that is like on all aspects of mental health. That is everything. As long as you can have just a logical, wise mind, emotion and logic together, you could pretty much do anything. You can, you can treat anything, you can get past anything. So I take all of these diagnoses with a grain of salt, especially after this trauma training And yeah, I'm going to get off my soapbox about that. Yeah. So uh, what you just said, Stephanie, actually kind of reminded me of a post on Instagram that I saw the other day, um, what you said about calm mind and um, stuff like that. So uh, it's by a guy named Young Pueblo, um, and he actually has a book called Inward that's a genius book um, for anybody. Um, And I'll put that in the show notes um, for you guys. But uh, this post says, um, before you try to solve a situation, look at it with a calm mind. See the situation clearly, accept it as it is, and then move into action. Emotions will often jump into reactions that make your perception cloudy and do not help. Pause the immediate impulse and give yourself time to think so you can act effectively and move forward. So that like, is, I mean, like I said, all this guy's posts are great, but um, that one kind of resonated with me and it reminded, you reminded me of it with what you were talking about. So. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think uh, he's very wise and it reminds me of, uh, I'm going to mention trauma training again, but there was this analogy of how our minds is just like riding a bike and how our experiences in childhood and how we grew up are just like riding a bike. So all of that is imprinted on our minds. And this guy on another podcast, um, they shared on this webinar, he was talking about how when you ride a bike, it's just second nature. You don't have to think about it. You just do it and it's easy. 
So these welder friends of his uh, welded a bike and made it turn left instead of right and just made it turn opposite. And like nobody could ride this bike. Nobody because it was like a a range just couldn't figure it out. He would even try and pay people like 200 bucks if they could go 100 meters and just nobody could do it. And so he made it his mission to learn how to ride this bike opposite. And so he took eight months and practiced every single day for eight months and he could finally ride this opposite bike and um so he taught himself to do it but he said with any kind of distraction like with any sound at all he would fall and you know when you're riding a bike typically that doesn't happen but with learning this new way of thinking or this new way of riding a bike it was just it's so easy to be distracted from it and it's all about intentions and you just have to be totally willing and intent intent doing everything with intentions and thinking about it constantly but you're gonna get distracted and you just have to keep getting on that bike and then this is so crazy he went to go ride a regular bike after learning how to ride this opposite bike and he could not ride the regular bike but he kept getting on the regular bike and after 20 minutes he could ride the regular bike again so it only took him after eight months of practicing this skill it took him 20 minutes to relearn how to ride the regular bike so that is how fast that is how fast you go back to your old ways that is how fast your brain goes just back into that's what i recognize that's what i'm comfortable with and that's how I'm going to do it every time. That's my way of thinking. That's what's comfortable for me. I don't care that it doesn't make sense. That's what I'm going to do. So it was just this awesome analogy that's kind of just helped me learn so much and explain so much of like how this like neuroplasticity is going on in our minds and it's just imprinted on our minds and it's so hard to rewire it, but it definitely can happen with intention. And then last piece of this, which was really cool, he taught his young son to ride a bike and he learned it within Oh, I don't I don't know I think it was two weeks he learned to ride this bike this opposite bike so instead of eight months he learned within two weeks to ride this flipping bike and it was just like oh my gosh so like the younger that you are the easier it is to change these habits so it's never too late to start changing your way of thinking and any of us can do it it's funny that you say that because I was watching a show the other day it's called mind something mind it's like a game show basically and they bring a celebrity on and they and in this particular episode they bring a kid against a celebrity and they took him on a go-kart and the go-kart had the wheels had been switched so that it was going the opposite so everything went the opposite the wheel went the opposite way every time and the the children killed like they timed them for one lap each each of them and um the the adults got their butts whipped every time like constantly and they I mean they didn't let him do it for very long obviously but um yeah it was pretty crazy like it's interesting how quickly the mind for the kids like could adapt to something different because they hadn't been experienced to it they had never driven even right so but the adults had driven constantly on the roads and like was so used to driving that all of a sudden you're changing your everything that they are like used to right so yeah, it's so interesting. It's just like this whole new realm of like figuring out how our minds work. And it's um, I'm listening to an audiobook called The Body Keeps Score, which is a whole nother awesome thing I keep hearing about through school. And um, I'll link it to the show notes, too. But he talks about uh, this developmental psychopathology and how cool 
it would be for us to understand as much about the mind as we do about the body and diseases. And I think we're finally starting to just get the tip of the iceberg of everything that happens. And it's just so fascinating and exploding right now. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I think that like one way that I kind of been lately trying to, um, I don't know, work with my mind is, is, um, meditation. And so, um, with that, one thing I heard the other day is that, uh, they call, you know, meditation a practice and I never really thought about it. Like, like I never thought of it as a practice because it's like, you're not going to be very good at it at first and like, kind of like riding a bike. Right. So you just got to keep doing it and then keep doing it. And like the first time you like have trouble focusing at all on what you're supposed to be focusing on, um, like your breath or whatever. So, um, it's kind of interesting that they, that it's, that it's all kind of like how much you can, I don't know how well, how long that takes, how, how much you can keep, have to beat patterns in and like, you know, they, your brain, the waves, all they like grind lines. It's almost like the road, you know? Um, but anyways, yeah. sorry, we've, dive, we've, we've gone a long ways away from where we were started here, but whatever. It's okay. Mindfulness and self-regulation are very important, folks. Yeah, <laughs> Let's for sure. just say. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing we want to always ask everybody is that if you are having any kind of mental health crisis or mental health-related trouble, there are always resources available. So just go seek help. And it doesn't matter what you are facing. And the people who understand and want to, there are people that want to help you. There are people that understand you and you don't have to face this alone. And some of those resources are in our show notes as usual. And then one more thing from me, please do Jared and I a huge favor and share this episode of the podcast with someone who may need it. We would really appreciate that. We, we hope that you guys can benefit from it too. Yeah, I think the more that we can get people to share this um, information, the more we can kind of shine that light uh, on mental health and educate some people or, you know, um, and as always, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can actually go to our new website, which is mindcruisers.com, um, or you can always email the show at the mindcruiserspodcast at gmail. Um, and if you go to mindcruisers.com, you can contact us and that will show us your our Instagram pages and all that other stuff um, that we have. Um, you can it's all linked on there. So I don't have to tell you about it every time. Um, <laughs> but I hope you'll go check out the Facebook group because I do want you to join that if you um, haven't already. Um, it's growing by the day and hopefully we'll continue um, as we expand. We hope to actually get some more content on there. I know that's been a little bit lacking. Um, but it's mostly, we want to, we want to add some, you know, good personal stories, hopefully, um, some tips and tricks of, um, of how to control your mind or how to keep your, you know, keep your mental health in a good place. Um, and so, yeah, we just want to build a sense of community on there. So that will be in the show notes, of course. Okay. So it's time for the part of the show where we talk about, um, an artist or song, um, and where we found it, and generally, um, kind of what we like about these um, people that seem to have helped us at times when we needed it. So today, um, our artist is Mike Love. Um, so 
first I'll tell you a little bit about Mike Love and then I'll tell you the story of how I first encountered him. Um, so this comes kind of directly from Mike Love's website, which is mikelovemusic.com. Um, and it reads, in this modern age of music, genres blend together as naturally as river flows into the sea. With the, the expansive library of all the music of the world from every time period at our fingertips, creative artists seem to be more and more liberated from the archaic mentality of being pigeonholed into one genre or demographic. Mike Love is at the forefront of this movement with a foundation rooted in spirituality and message-based music of reggae and Rastafari. He also blends sounds of progressive and classic rock, pop, R&B, soul, blues, flamenco, jazz, and so much more. Um, healing is really at the core of all of his music. So um, Mike Love is actually from Hawaii, but he plays all over the world. Um, so uh, to go into like how I was first exposed to him, um, when I was, I think it was in 2015, maybe 2014, um, Mike Love came to Seattle um, and played as he opened for one of my, one of my wife and I's favorite musicians, Trevor Hall. Um, so we went to a show and Mike Love came on stage and started playing and like instantly we became fans. He was like absolutely crazy. Like he was all by himself and he would like start playing a little bit of noise and then he would record it. Like he had this pedal, these foot pedals and it had like 50 pedals on it or 30 pedals on it or something. And he would just start playing a noise or making a noise with his mouth and then press a button and then keep making that noise. And then also that noise would be behind him. And then he'd make a different noise and then just keep looping all these things. Um, and it was super crazy. Like I'd never seen anything like that at that point. Um, so at one point he played this song called permanent holiday. Um, and during this song, like he's playing and it's all going good. And then all of a sudden he just stops in the middle and all of a sudden he just starts making sounds with his mouth. And it's just like, uh, it's hard to explain, but if you go listen to it, you'll see, um, he, he just keeps making sounds and then looping them to eventually make a verse basically. But it's like, it's just like one sound at a time. It's really crazy. Um, and so like, once I heard that, like, you know, I, I was I was gone, but so like since since that time, uh, my wife and I have, have traveled to see him uh, numerous times, including we went to Costa Rica once to not in part to see Mike Love at Envision Festival. Um, but he's he's an awesome guy. He's I think his message is just super cool. Um, so you'll hear it in this in this song. Um, this song is called No Regrets. Um, and I picked it because I felt like it related to the content of the podcast. Um, it also like, it's more of one of, it's a song that I actually discovered more recently. Um, his older ones, I definitely helped me in times when I needed, but, um, I'd say that this one, I just felt like it was most prudent to the podcast. So, um, if you want to check out Mike Love, um, you can go to mikelovemusic.com or look on Instagram at Mike Love Music or on Facebook it is Mike Love 808. Um, so <clears throat> um, this song, we actually received permission to play 
from uh, Mike Love's manager and also Hive Music. So that's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, I appreciate, I mean, we appreciate that because, uh, you know, anytime we can play the song is, is going to be the best. So we'll be playing that song here shortly. But first, Stephanie has something to say. Yeah, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing and for all of the support in the Facebook group already and everywhere else. It's pretty incredible that we are already getting so much love and we love that. We appreciate everybody. We are just so excited to keep going. And don't forget to keep voting for the next episodes so that we can be sure to talk about topics that you are all interested in and we can make sure that we're producing and researching topics that you want to hear about. Also join the group if you haven't already so you can vote on the next topic. Yeah, so, uh, and, and, and actually this next topic, we are going to do a little bit of an audible, right, Stephanie? Um, we're going to, we're not going to do the topic you guys asked for and that's for a good reason because we feel like it's just so big that it's going to take up more than one podcast probably. Um, so, what are we going to talk about, Stephanie? Yeah. So instead of talking about depression or anxiety, as Jared said, those are going to be like so many different parts and we'll have to figure that out. But we're going to talk about compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma, which also goes hand in hand with compassion reward. So it's anybody in the helping or caring field that just gets burned out because they're hearing traumatic stories. They're hearing people at their worst and it's just going to be such an important aspect of how to help yourself, help yourself, help these other people. And we're going to be doing an interview with Valerie Shaman, and she wrote her um, dissertation on compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, and she has agreed to talk to us about it and let us ask her some questions kind of just to give us her expert advice on how to help ourselves and help each other. That's awesome. That's going to be amazing. I I can't wait to see how it goes with somebody else on here with us. <laughs> it might be a little bit of a mess, but it's okay. Uh, Hang in there, everybody. We appreciate yeah. your feedback too. Um, yeah, it's only going to really get better from here. We just, you know, it takes it takes a little bit of work here. But uh, so the last thing I'll say is, like I said, like Stephanie said, share this with somebody um, and who you think may need it. And as always, be kind to one another. You never know how that may affect or the effect that may have, I guess. Um, but until we talk to you again, Steph and I are hoping everybody has a fabulous day, week, month, all of that. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>
newborn baby's cry The very first tears They are so hopeful And great grandfathers die After many Success, but I 